Today, we're going to learn a Shavuos Sicha. It's printed in the volume of 23, the 23rd volume of Lakuta Sichas, the first of the few Shavuos Sichas that are printed there. Before we talk about today's Sicha, I want to preface a small story. And this is in the subject of learning. In uh, I remember in 1991, 1991 uh, in Sivan, after Shavuos, the Rebbe gave out a booklet called a Dvar Malchus. It was a booklet that had in it four sichas, all about the subject of Mashiach, uh, fascinating subjects. Somebody took this booklet and brought to Israel and went to ch- meet the chief rabbi of Israel. At the time, his name was Ramadachai Elio, and he was the chief Sephardic rabbi in Israel. And they brought him this uh, booklet of Torah, and if you're familiar with the Rebbe's uh, uh, printing printed versions, there are hundreds of footnotes throughout the bottom, footnotes of sources where he's gathering the, the, the content from. As a matter of fact, that the Hebrew, it's called Likute Sichos, a gathering of Sichos. So the Rebbe always didn't look at it like it was his novelty, it was collection of sichos. In any case, so this uh, rabbi in Israel, who had come to New York a couple times to see the Rebbe, chief rabbi there, and he said, how is it possible that the Rebbe should have so much time to be able to learn and put this all together? So the chassid said, what's the big deal? It says that Moshe Rabbeinu, on the, the last the day he, he passed away, God commanded him to write 13 Torah scrolls, one for each tribe and one for the Ark. So he said he should write 30. So he said if Moshe Rabbeinu could write 13 Torah scrolls in one day, if that's possible, then the Rebbe could write his Torah's thoughts, you know, all along. So Ramad Chaleyo answered, he said that Moshe Rabbeinu was only the Rebbe of the Jewish people. He said, but our Rebbe, Today, he's the Rebbe, not just for the Jewish people, even for the non-Jewish world. Everybody seems to come to him for his guidance, inspiration, and so on. I preface the story because today we're going to learn about the last commandment that Moshe got from Hashem, which is to write the, the Torah. By the way, regarding the 13 Torahs, there's various opinions how it was possible physically to write 13 Torahs. Some say that he wrote it over the 40 years in the desert, and he just completed it on the day of his passing. But regardless, this was the last commandment that we got, the last of the 613 commandments that were given through Moshe. So there's a fascinating insight regarding this mitzvah, about writing a Torah, and since it's Shavuos, it's fitting for the theme to be this, even though the actual Sicha, the Rebbe said it on the last day of Pesach in 1981, and followed on Parsha Kedoshim, he spoke about this, and this is going to be the beginning of the campaign that the Rebbe launched, which is, as you're going to see at the end of the Sicha, about every Jew to own a letter at least one letter in a Torah, and especially children. And later he started the, uh, that year actually already, he started the children, uh, Tzivas Hashem, the Army of Hashem organization, where children should be able to have letters in the Torah and be involved in the Torah and so on, mainly, mainly to be aware of the Torah. So regarding this idea of writing a Torah, where does it come of this uh, concept? So that's what we're going to study now. First, he brings the Rambam. The Rambam, as you all know, is the, he's the first coder, codifier of Jewish law. And the Rambam brings down in his laws of writing a Torah, and he writes the following. It's a biblical positive commandment known as a mitzvah asay for every single person of Israel to write for themselves a Torah scroll. Everybody is obligated, a biblical commandment, you must write a Torah. How do we know this? Because it says clearly in the verse, Va'ata, with And now, Now you should write this song. Meaning, to write the entire Torah that has this song. Meaning, to write the Torah that has song and messages, you should write it. Because you can't, you're not allowed 
to write one parsha of a Torah, and that's it. You're not allowed to have a Torah scroll with one parsha or, or, or several. You have to have an entire, entire Torah to make it kosher. Therefore, everybody has to write the Torah for themselves. Even, says the Rambam, even if you have a Torah that you got, you inherited from your father, it's still a mitzvah to write your own Torah. And if you write your own Torah, you should know it's as if you received the Torah straight from God on Mount Sinai. And what happens, says the Rambam, if you don't know how to write your own Torah, you're not a good enough scribe, you don't know how to write it, then you're allowed to have others write it for you. In other words, you could hire somebody to write it for you. Hire a scribe. And then he says, and he concludes, whoever edits a Torah, meaning you, you fix up a Torah, you check the Torah, you examine it to make sure it's kosher, even by fixing and editing, uh, uh, correcting one letter, it's as if you wrote the entire Torah. Simply understood. Why is it as if you write the whole Torah? So the simple understanding is, is because if one letter is missing in the Torah or broken, the whole Torah is not kosher. So if you fix one letter, it's as if you wrote the whole Torah. This is the Rambam. What's the obvious question on this mitzvah that the Rambam's quoting as one of the 613 mitzvahs? The question is, since writing a Torah is a mitzvah, as it's a biblical commandment that every person to write a Torah, why don't we find that we should all be doing whatever we can in our power to fulfill this mitzvah, to write a Torah, and to write it complete? Because if you write it complete, it's as if you got it straight from Mount Sinai. So why don't we find that we write these tires? By the way, at the end of today's class, I would like to share with you a story about when our family wanted to write a Torah in memory of my dad after he passed away. And I'll tell you about that. But let's first analyze this thing, the responsibility of what this mitzvah is. So the mitzvah is, the question is, since it's a straight out mitzvah that everybody should write their own Torah scroll, why don't we find that people do this? Now, even though that you could say that if you have an expert writer, in other words, a proper scribe that writes nicer than you, so you should give up on your reward of writing it yourself, that it's as if you wrote it yourself, it's as if you got it from Mount Sinai. So, but if there's somebody that can write it better for you, then you're going to hire that person. You're supposed to hire that person in order that it should be a beautiful Torah. As we know, there's a commandment. We say it in the Az Yashir. We say, Zeh, Keli, Ve'anveyu, which means that this is the God that you're supposed to beautify. This is the source that we learn that every mitzvah that you do, you're supposed to do it on the nicest possible way. That's why you're supposed to spend more money on tefillin, a nicer mezuzah, and so on. All mitzvahs, esrugs, lulav, so on, anything with mitzvahs, right? We have a silver cup for kiddush and so on. So it's obviously, even though the mitzvah is for you to write it, it's obvious that if somebody else could write it nicer than you, that you should hire that person. And even more, he brings down from a, a book called, a sefer called Tvois Shire. Tvois Shire is an interesting uh, book. It's written by a great Torah sage who lived maybe 25 years or so before the Baal Shem Tov was born. The Baal Shem Tov was born in the year of Nachas, Tuf Nunches, in the year 1698. So this person passed away about 25 years before. His name was Rabbi Alexander Sender Shur. And the name of his book is called Tvoy Shur. And he writes mainly halachic books on the laws of Shkita, Treif, and so on. Anyways, over there he writes an interesting phenomenon. And the Rebbe likes to help us and collect you know, Torah ideas from all over the place. So you bring down from this book, the Tvoesher, that there's a concept, famous law called Mitzvah Bo Yoser Mibishluchai. It's always better for a person to do a mitzvah by themselves than sending somebody else to do it for you. A lot of people like to tell other people to do it for them. Ah, there's a great mitzvah opportunity. Go do it. It's better for you to do the mitzvah and to give away the mitzvah to somebody else to do. So he says, he explains there in that book, that when is it a problem 
when should you hire somebody else to do it? When it doesn't look like you're being lazy to do it. In other words, in a, in a circumstance that if I hire somebody else to do it, it will add in the performance of the mitzvah, then it's a good idea to hire somebody else. In other words, like in our case, if somebody else, a professional scribe, could write a Torah nicer than you, in that case, you don't have the principal rule better for you to do it than to have somebody else do it. If it could be done nicer through somebody else, then of course, the, then do it through somebody else. So you only say the rule better for you to do it than somebody else to do it if it will be equal as good. But if the other person could do it better, like in our case, somebody hire a professional to write it, you should do that. So if you say this idea that it's better to hire somebody, that still does not suffice us enough because we don't find anywhere that Jews should be hiring people to write themselves a Torah, to write a Torah for them. We don't even find that people are learning all the skills to edit and fix one letter of a Torah. To make a Torah that's not kosher, to make it kosher. Because if you did that, it would be as if you wrote the whole Torah. So why is it? What's the logic behind it? We have a clear biblical mitzvah and we don't see that we do it. So to explain this, he says, seemingly the best way to explain this would be that the custom of the Jews that we don't write a Torah is based on something that was taught to us by the sage known as the Rush. Close to the Rosh. But Rosh, the Rush. The Rush is spelled Resh Aleph Shin. It spells for Reb Usher. His name is Usher Yechiel. So it was named as the Reb Usher. So they called him the, the Rush. And the Rush lived um, in the late, in the mid 1200s. He was born about 1250 and passed away in 1327. So he's one of our earlier sages. He was actually a student of the famous Maral of Maram of of Miratenburg, the famous sage that was that was put into jail, and he didn't want to. They they, he, they the government wanted the Jews to pay a heavy ransom to get him out, and he refused to leave jail if they pay a lot of money because he knew that this would become a trend. He ended up uh, dying in jail, but while he was there, they managed to to get him parchments, and he wrote a Torah, a very famous Torah, which it's believed to that we still have his Torah today. But in any case, the Maram of Rutenberg, one of his greatest students was the Rush. The Rush had to leave Germany for problems that was for Jews to live there. He moved to Spain. That's where he dies. So over there, he writes his famous summary commentary on the Talmud. And, and most of what the Rush does is, is he summarizes the laws of the Talmud. His son, by the way, the Russia's son, it was known as the Baal HaTurim, the famous Baal HaTurim, which many people love studying. The Baal HaTurim is, has great insights and gematrias and the Chumash. He also is the one that authored the first stage of the Shulchan Aruch. Tur actually means a column. So he made four columns of the, of the Code of Jewish Law. So you could see the way the, 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 Pyramid, you know, comes down to us of Torah until it gets more formed into the Mishnah, the Talmud, and then eventually the Rambam comes and starts codifying into Jewish law, and then eventually comes the Rush, and then the Rush's son, the Balaturim, he kind of really forms it out into the code of Jewish law. And by the way, the Balaturim, when he coded the Jewish law with the Shulchan Aruch, the code of Jewish law, he actually had a system because before him there were three great sages that wrote Halacha, the Rambam the Rif and the Rush. And he would almost always take a majority of the three when there was a dispute. That's the way kind of he, he rules. So in any case, back to this Rush, Rabash Yechiel, who passes away in 1327, very, very super relied upon sage for things, anything that he says. So he says the following, explaining this idea of the custom. He says like this, the, the obligation to write a Torah for every single person to write a Torah, he says, was only in the days of yesteryears, of way back, in earlier times, when you used to write a Torah and you used to learn 
your Torah, you used to learn it from the Torah scroll. That's the way we used to learn. For hundreds of years. Maybe thousands of years, a long time. But nowadays, in other words, his days, 800 years ago or so, right? He says in his day, in our days already, where we write a Torah, and what do we do with the Torah scroll? We put it in the shul, into the ark. And we use it to read on public settings. That's when we use Torah scrolls. We don't use every individual to learn. It's not the way you learn Torah, right? You don't open up a Torah scroll. The Torah scroll you put into the ark in the shul. And you take it out for special public occasions. Monday, Thursday, Shabbos morning, Shabbos afternoon. That's it. So nowadays where you write a Torah and you keep it in the shul. So the obligation, what's the obligation? For every person, whoever has the means to write, what should you write? Not a Torah scroll. We don't do that anymore. Nowadays, you should write the whole Chumash, the Mishnah, and the Gemara, and all the commentaries to be able to learn from it and teach it to your children. That's what it means. Like well, the way today people call it the Chumash. The Torah is a Torah scroll, and to write the Chumash. So to write the book. Today we're having printing presses. We're going to talk about that soon. So he say, he Rush is saying that in our days, what do you write? You should write copies of the Chumash, the Mishnah, the Talmud, and all the stuff that you need to have to study Torah, to teach to your children. Because the mitzvah of, because here's the key, the Rush says, because the mitzvah of writing a Torah is in order to learn from it. That's the point. That learn from the limdas b'nei Yisrael sima b'fiyam. That it should stay on their tongues, on their lips. That's the point of having the Torah. That people should have it on their lips. No, you should know enough Torah that it's it's right there. You can slip off your tongue through the Gemara, that which is the Talmud and its commentaries. You'll know the meanings of doing a mitzvah and the laws properly. And these are the books that a person is obligated to write. So what is the rush saying? Basically saying is, when it says a biblical commandment to write, in, in the days when you wrote it, you learned from it, then you write, you're right, you write in the Torah scroll. But nowadays, when you don't read from that on a regular day to study, which that's the whole idea to study, so you should write the, the regular books. And it's not just a rush, even, like I said, his son, the, the Balaturim, who writes the Shulchan Aruch, and it's brought down already later also, of Yosef Cairo in the Shulchan Aruch, which is the summary of the Torah. So he writes there clearly, that nowadays the mitzvah is to write the books, the Chumash, Torah, the, the Chumash Torah, the five books of Moses, the Mishnah, the Gemara, and its commentaries. And according to many opinions, it's more that nowadays the mitzvah is mainly, mainly the mitzvah is to write the books of the Chumash, Mishnah, and Gemara, and not the Torah scroll. So, in other words, this boils down to the actual halacha nowadays that you're supposed to write the books. In other words, to have the books. Says the Rebbe, is that if that's the explanation of why we find that people don't write Torah scrolls nowadays. Because nowadays you should be writing it just have copies of the books, then it's something's wrong here. We're missing some explanation here. Regarding these books of the Chumash, the Mishnayas, so the Rush and the Tur Shochanarach, they write, they still use the word mitzvah to write. But the problem is we don't find that people are specifically making effort to write their own copies. Or to hire somebody to write their copies. Or at least to check it over to make sure your copy is perfect. In order to fulfill the mitzvah of writing. In other words, if the main idea is writing, which they're also using those words. They're saying, instead of writing a Torah scroll, write the books. But we don't find that people should be writing the books. And even after it became uh, you know, worlds spread around the world of printing presses. The minog, the custom of most Jews, which most means already, basically you could say everybody, people buy ready printed books. People don't sit and write down the whole copy of the whole Chumash. Whoever wrote down, you know, anybody that wrote the whole five books of Moses or anybody that wrote the whole Mishnah at the time, you buy a you buy a printed book. And even if you should say that when it says when it when they write. You should write it. It includes also published printing printing books, which took the place of writing. 
you cannot consider this of buying a complete book that you should get the reward as if you wrote it. <laughs> Buy, should, is that really what it is? That you should get the reward of writing it by just buying it? Especially when the publications of these holy books are not through a Ben Bris, means somebody that circles, I'm meaning a Jew. That's the expression in Talmudic language, Ben Bris. So we don't find that you should be doing anything special to make this book any extra holy in terms of writing it, editing, or anything like that. And even more, and this is the, here comes the main point. We all know that the Shulchan Aruch, which, like I said, first was the Torah Shulchan Aruch, then came Yosef Cairo, which summarizes that. And Yosef Cairo was a Sephardic Jew. And, and there was also the Ashkenaz Jews that took the Shulchan Aruch, the Code of Jewish Law, serious. And the Ramah, Ramah Isterlis, he took a stand for the Ashkenazic Jews, and he fills in wherever the Shulchan Aruch goes, slants with the Sephardic view, and it, if it's different than the Ashkenaz, he adds in the Ashkenazic rule. So the Ramah is a very well accepted and learned, and you have to learn them today. You can't learn just one without the other. The Ramah rules in the laws of Torah writing that if you take a Torah, if you find a Torah scroll, you take it, and you did not check it over, for however you got this Torah, you did not have it checked over, it's as if you ran into a marketplace and you grabbed a mitzvah, which has no value. Because in other words, if you're doing it, that in a way where there was no effort put into it to make sure this is good, he says you have not fulfilled your obligation of doing a mitzvah in that fashion. Which by the way, is different than the opinion of Rashi, and he brings out another commentary known as the Nimuke Yosef. You want to write down these different commentaries, but the Nimuke Yosef is another commentary who lived right after the Rush, and he also wrote books on the Code of Jewish Law. Rashi and the Nimuke Yosef, we find in their works of books that they actually disagree with the Ramah, and they say that if you grab the mitzvah in the marketplace, you got the mitzvah, and if you, in other words, same thing here, if you grabbed the Torah, you didn't actually edit and check it, you actually got the mitzvah for it. But the bottom line is, based on the way the Ramah rules, that if you get a Torah, you don't even check it over, you have not fulfilled your obligation. By the way, the Rashi and the Nemuka Yosef, they say you fulfilled your obligation, maybe not at the highest level, but if you got a Torah in your hands, you already got it. But the Ramah says that you have not fulfilled your obligation if you haven't checked it over fully. In this case, if you could buy it, get a Torah, and if you didn't check it over, you have not fulfilled your obligation, then shouldn't it be the same thing that if I buy a printed book or writing a a chumash that was written without checking over the book, it it shouldn't be counted as your own Torah. So in other words, let's summarize this a bit. The rush who was the first one to explain to us that the mitzvah of writing a Torah was only for the earlier generations when they studied and reviewed Torah from the scroll. But since we don't do that anymore, we study and review Torah from the books, so therefore it's a mitzvah to write the books. But he says, but the Ramah rules that if you buy a Torah and you don't check it over, you have not fulfilled the obligation of of owning a Torah. Of even can't be counted as you wrote it. So in our case, if you're writing these books or somebody else wrote it with you and you didn't do anything to check it over, especially if you bought a printed one and you didn't check it over, seemingly you have not fulfilled your obligation at all of writing a Torah. So we're back to square one. How do we explain if there's a clear mitzvah to write a Torah scroll or to hire somebody to write it for you? How come we don't find people doing this? And even if you want to say like the rush that you fulfill this nowadays through writing the books, Seemingly, we should at least have to edit the books that were written or published. So with this, he says, let's analyze a bit more the differentiation of the opinions of the Rambam and the Rush. Now let's remember again, the Rambam comes first and he writes the law and he writes, it's a mitzvah, a, a, a positive commandment to every person to write their own Torah. 
Then came the rush and explained to us that there's a, that same mitzvah, there's a difference of the way it was earlier days and later days. So he says, according to the Rambam comes out, that the writing of the Torah scroll, the mitzvah is to write the Torah scroll. Therefore, it, it puts an obligation on a person to write, this, to write their own scroll and to have the effort of a person. In other words, you have to put in your own effort into this to write your own Torah scroll. In other words, the writing of it. And even if you don't know how to write it, but you, could, you should check it. And if you check it, it's as if you wrote it and you did not fulfill your obligation through buying a completed, ready Torah scroll. So that's clear according to the Rambam, that you have the only way to fill the mitzvahs if you write it yourself. Or at least you checked over one yourself. But buying a finished one, you have not to fill it. But according to the Rush, and the Shulchan Aruch says the same thing, it's the mitzvah of writing is in order to learn from it. That's the logic to it. There's a logic here. Write it to learn from it. And therefore, he says, it makes a difference because the whole point is to have the books in order to learn. Since why do you write it? It's in order to learn from it. So what's the goal? The goal is to write it or the goal is to have it. In other words, the goal is to learn from it. And So in the end, who really cares who wrote it? As long as you have it so that you could study it. So according to the Rambam, the mitzvah is you must write it. He doesn't emphasize write it to learn from it. But the rush makes it very clear. The idea of writing it is in order to learn from it. So that seems to be clear the difference. The problem is, when, from the rush, it's clear that this, you can't really differentiate this difference. That the Rambam says you have to write it. doesn't say that the main thing is to learn from it. The rush says the main thing is to learn from it. The rush says that in earlier generations... In continuation, he's using the Rambam's words, really. It's, he brings down that it's understood that the rush is not here to tell you a, that the law of writing has changed or there's a new idea of what it means to write a Torah. He's not really, what, the Ram, what the rush is trying to do is, is to explain the Rambam. That when the Rambam says to write, he says what it means to write it earlier generations is different than what it means to write it in later generations. He's not here to tell you that, oh, what the Rambam said to write, that doesn't exist anymore. Today we do something else. No, he's trying to explain to us that when the Rambam says that you should write it, it makes a difference. In the earlier generations, it meant write the scroll itself. Later generations, it means write the books in order to toil and learn it. And therefore, when he says, write the books, he says all the books, the Chumash, the Mishnah, the Talmud, everything, the commentaries, in order to toil in it and teach it to our children. So, again, how come we don't find that people should be writing their own books, or at least editing and checking your own books? Another point we need to understand is the logic to the two opinions. Do you fulfill the mitzvah of writing a Torah by buying it? Like Rashi and the Nemuka Yesus said, they said that if you just buy it off the street, it's as if you wrote it, then it's okay. But if you wrote it yourself, it's even better. But technically, if you just bought it, it's okay. Or maybe I did not fulfill my obligation. Like the Ramah said, you, you did not fulfill your obligation if you just go to the marketplace and buy one randomly. Or today, if you buy a Torah scroll on Amazon or on eBay, which Torah scrolls are being sold there, does, does it have any accomplishment of anything? Especially if you didn't bring it to a proper scribe to check it or you yourself if you're an expert to check it. So the question is, according to both opinions, what is the mitzvah here to write? Can I fulfill the obligation of writing it by buying a ready Torah? So two points to question. Let's summarize the two questions. If the whole idea is today you should write the books, why don't we find that people should write it or at least check it even if you bought printed ones? Number two is, do I, do, can I fulfill my obligation of the writing by buying a ready thing? So now, in order to understand this, 
first we're going to understand better the opinion of the rush and the way the law is brought down in the code of Jewish law. We have to understand how is it possible to come up with a novel idea that a mitzvah that's black or white in the Torah, like this one, to write a Torah for yourself, should change from time to time. How's it possible? We all know there's rules that mitzvahs never change. It seems, based on what we said till now, that the law did change. It used to be to write it, and now it's buying it. Or buying it even just the books. How do we know this? We see nobody's writing. People, nobody writes a Torah. I mean, maybe the odd case, somebody could write a Torah or hire somebody, but that's not something that's, you know, taught to do. We don't find that people are doing this. Yeah, sure, a person has money, gives them to hate, but we don't find this to be the way of doing this mitzvah. So how do we explain that this mitzvah with positive biblical commandment seems like it changed from time over the generations? To the point that the, that the, um, the rush said, he said, oh, in the old days we did it like this, and nowadays... It's not exactly like that. How do, you, how, do you, how do we explain such a thing? We all know that mitzvahs are not allowed to change. People ask all the time this question, right? Why can't we change, Rabbi? Why can't we change the law today? Come on, get with it, right? Famous thing. Now, the, um, the Rush himself said, when he explained of the idea of the writing of the Torah, he said that the mitzvah is writing a Torah to learn from it. And he brought down the verse, the next continuation there, where it says you should write down the song, which includes the whole Torah. He says you should do this and learn from it to your children that it should be sima befihem. It should be placed on their tongue or on their mouth. So the rush says the mitzvah of writing is to teach it. But that only tells us that that's the intention of the whole mitzvah. But in practicality, it says clearly in the Torah, you should write it. That means the mitzvah is to write. So how do we explain this? Did the mitzvah change? Used to be to write, and now the emphasis is like this. What's going on over here? So so let's explain this like this. From this, that the verse says you should write it. The The verse continues right away and learn from it with your children. And that it should be on their tongue or the, the tip of their mouth. And like it's brought down in the continuation of the Parsha. It says there that the whole idea of writing it is in order that it should be on the tip of your mouth. So the Torah is written in a way that it should last. And even in the time, as the verse says, Vinyatsuni, that you get me angry, Hashem says, Vahafarisparisi, and you violate my covenant with you. Even then, you have to teach the Torah, learn the Torah, and try to hold on to it. From here, the rush learns that the idea of writing is not the category itself of the mitzvah. It's only a detail of the mitzvah. In other words, like this, the rush is telling us that when you read this verse, even though the verse begins, you should write the Torah, you have to realize that that's only one detail of the mitzvah. The mitzvah is the bigger picture, the goal of the mitzvah. The goal of the mitzvah is to actually learn from it. And here I want to bring you to the story that I mentioned that I would share with you. After my dad passed away in 2006, so an idea came up that maybe the family, we should commission a scribe to write a Torah scroll. and We'll have a Torah scroll dedicated to my dad's memory. Nice idea. You see sometimes people do it. But before you do such a thing, I decided I wanted to know for sure what is the Rebbe's opinion about this. I looked, I looked in the books, I didn't find it. So I called the Rebbe's secretary, Rabbi Groner. He's one of the Rebbe's secretaries. He passed away right in the beginning of COVID. And I asked him, what is the Rebbe's opinion regarding writing a Torah scroll in a memory of somebody that passed away? So he told me, he said, I'm not going to repeat to you all the sharp words the Rebbe used against this idea, but I'll just tell you the two ideas that the Rebbe used to tell people to do if they want to do something meaningful in the memory of a loved one. He said, number one, the Rebbe would tell people to publish 
books on the Torah and put a dedication in the front or the back of the book with the name of the deceased so that anytime a person picks up that Torah book and learns from it, it will be an elevation for the soul that's mentioned on the who sponsored the book for, you know? And that was one idea. Another idea, he said, was that people should sponsor a classroom or many classrooms where Torah is being learned and you should put a plaque on top of the entrance or somewhere by, by the room that the class or the, where they're studying Torah is dedicated in the memory of this and this soul. And this way, any Torah that gets studied there is in the honor of the person. That's the way to honor. Now, by the way, if you think about it, he didn't even have to explain to me anything else. But the obvious thing is, when you think about what the Rush is telling us here, he's telling you, that, what is the verse telling you? You should write a Torah. But why should you write a Torah? What's the point of having a Torah? It's in order to learn from it. And since we don't learn anymore from a Torah scroll for many different reasons, halachic reasons, to be fit, to be able to read, take out a Torah scroll, right? So we read, we study the Torah from the books. So what's the point? How many Torah scrolls do you need? You need just enough in a synagogue so that you could read it in public settings. But for the regular people that you, all, week round, round, all week long you want to learn from the Torah. For that, you need the books. Back to inside here. He brings us an example that you're going to find in Jewish law that even though the law is this and this, the law means more than just this. In other words, when you see a word in the Torah, you have to know how to learn the word. In our context, he said, what did, what did we just say? It says you should write, but what does it mean to write? Well, it means to write means you should have a book to learn from it. That's what it means to write. So the writing is only a detail of the whole concept. The main thing is to have it, to be able to learn. He gives us an example in Halacha. You see, the Torah tells us regarding the mitzvah of a mezuzah. It says, You should write on your doorposts of your house and your gates. But guess what? The mitzvah is actually not to write the scroll. The mitzvah is, like you say in the blessing, to affix the mezuzah to the doorpost. So even though the verse says, clearly, you should write it, the mitzvah is not the writing. The mitzvah is to have it on your doorpost. So you see that when you read a law, you also have to get the whole picture. It's not enough just to translate a word and say, oh, boom, that's the rule. Now, the, the category, the, the concept of the mitzvah is that there's a mitzvah of learning Torah. And the mitzvah of learning Torah, Torah it says, Talmud Torah, keneged kulam. Learning Torah is in comparison to all the other mitzvahs together. And in this mitzvah, the main thing of learning Torah is, if you summarize what's the point of learning Torah, it's in order to know the laws and the logic behind the laws. And this is something that we're obligated to do from the Torah, to the point that you should study it again and again and again, that it should be on your, on your lips, on the tip of your tongue. And you should know how to answer somebody something from the Torah immediately. And so you should be able to learn it in the best way possible. So that is the idea of studying Torah. Comes Parsha Vayelech, towards the end of the Torah, and we have a special biblical commandment from the Torah that you should do this. How do you do this thing of learning? Through writing it. So for that, you have to have a written Torah. And you shall learn in that Torah. Maybe the reason is because through this, it makes the learning even easier. As we all know, when you learn, when looking into the words of the text, it helps you to become smarter. As the famous expression, the letters make you more chacham. It helps you remember things when you look inside. So certainly, it could help. And certainly, when you look inside, it can help you from not making a mistake. Because when you learn, like the expression is brought down in Talmud, Jerusalem Talmud, it says there that if you learn from the book, you don't forget quick what you learn. In other words, it, it retains in your brains longer when you look inside. And you can review it all the time when you want. 
And that's what it means, not to disconnect our covenant with Hashem by learning it all the time. And so in the time when the commandment was said, this action of writing was connected and only possible through learning it from a Torah scroll. As the expression comes from another quote in Talmud that says, Arye hudaraviyale. The lion, it's like a lion who's sitting on something. In other words, like a lion that's preventing that nothing else can happen. In other words, those days when the only possibility was to have a Torah written, a Torah scroll, that was the only way to have it, to learn from it. So there was no option to do anything else. It was like the lion on us. There was no other option available. And as a matter of fact, oral Torah, you were not allowed to write those days. There was something called the written Torah, the five books of Moses, later the Nach, and that's it. The books of the prophets, but that's all called the written Torah. All the oral had to stay oral. Therefore, through having this thing of the lion above it, so we had to have a second thing, a second point to having the written Torah and learn from it. Like a regular, that was the Torah scroll you learned from. And when you have a Torah scroll, once you're having a Torah scroll, you have to write the Torah scroll correctly with all the laws. For example, some of the laws, he brings down some of the laws of writing a Torah scroll. You have to have what's called shirtut. Shirtut means lines in the Torah scroll. By the way, if you look at the Torah scroll, when they pick it up in the shul, you don't even see those lines unless you look very closely. There are edged in lines. They push into the parchment a line so, so the Torah looks neat and clean. So the scribe now writes the words beautiful line because there's an etched in line called shirtut. Also, the scribe has to write it with the right intention. He has to write it with the fancy kind of letterings, that special Torah calligraphy letters, right? And he has to write a Torah scroll in Hebrew, etc., etc. Therefore, when it comes to the bottom line, writing it meant writing it with all the details. But now, that was in the olden days. But nowadays, already for the last, you know, thousand years more, when because of the injunction of the law based on a verse in Tehillim 119 that says there, that God makes certain times where he opens up a special permission in the Torah, to do something. What's the special permission? This was taught to be, to be able to write the oral Torah. Till then, oral Torah had to stay oral. All of a sudden, we got an allowance. Why did we get an allowance? That you could write the oral Torah? Because it was being forgotten. Simple reason. People couldn't remember anymore these hundreds or thousands of anecdotes to the Talmud explaining stuff to, to to the Torah. So we needed to write it down. So Rabbi Yehuda was the first one. He wrote the Mishnah. It was a big thing. Nobody ever wrote down oral Torah before. So nowadays when we have the right to write also oral Torah and the learning will be in a way where it is healthy and studied well and not from the Torah scroll itself. We read it from the written Chumash's, Mishnah's, Gemara's and so on. right? Or today from printing presses. So the mitzvah of writing is connected with those books. And, there's, and then you don't need to have even all the details. Once you're not writing the Torah scroll, you don't need to have those impressed uh, 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 lines and the intention and so on, like you have in a real Torah scroll. Why? Because the main point now of these written books are all about one thing. Read it, to learn it, and to restudy it. And you're studying it from the text. He says, we actually have this concept also in halacha. Interestingly enough, there's a halacha concept called Dain Mina V'uki Ba'asra. It's a little interesting Talmudic uh, teaching of how to learn something. It says you can learn from this and then you leave it in its place. Meaning, you, let's say you have a halacha A and halacha B. Halacha B, you could learn it from Halacha A, but I could also leave some of the details in Halacha A. In other words, I know, even though Halacha B was learned from A, it doesn't mean that all the details of A have to apply to B. 
in our case, he says, let's use three examples. You have a mitzvah to have joy on Yom Tif. Yom Tif is supposed to have special simcha. In the time of the temple, how did you have special simcha? You brought what's called the Shalmei Simcha. It was a special offering in the temple that had good meat. And you ate the meat that brought you good joy. That's how you had simcha in the temple times. Many people say that it's actually a biblical commandment, even nowadays, to eat meat on Yom Tif. Vegetarians, we have to figure out how, how to do this. But the, this, the point is that meat brings joy. You could do it through wine also. So it's understood that the simcha of meat nowadays does not have all the, all the, the intricate laws that we had in the time of the temple just because we're learning that in the, just like in the temple times, how did you have simcha by those animals, by those offerings? So what, I have to today also only eat meat if I'm pure, 100% spiritually pure and only in Jerusalem. Those are only categories, limitations to an offering brought in the temple. But if that's not the limitations of the simcha. In other words, the offering has limitations to it. Has to be in Jerusalem and with certain rules. But the simcha could be done and has to be done nowadays too. So the point is, you're learning a law now. In other words, law B is that you have to have simcha today too. You're learning it from law A, which said that you should eat, have these animal sacrifices in the temple. Well, we're not learning all the details just be from A. So too in our context here. It's not from the name itself of the law that we're learning this. All the details of writing the Torah has to do with the Torah scroll. But it's not about the details of the writing that's relevant to the law. You should write a Torah in order that you should be able to have it on the tip of your tongue. To have it on the tip of your tongue, you need the books. So in other words, even according to the rush that explained to us the difference of a Torah scroll way back that you learned from an insight, later in today's day you, you write the regular books, he's not telling you that the law changed. The law is one thing, you should have the books in the, in the Torah in order to study it. So how do you have the books in order to study it today? You don't have it through the scroll, you have it through the books. The law doesn't change. The thing what you could still ask is that we see still, he uses the word writing the books. And we don't find that we should be writing all these books. We do it through the printing presses. And even if you appoint the printing press to be your messenger to do it, we said that, and seemingly it's better to do a mitzvah by yourself than hiring somebody else. So we could say it's better for you to do it yourself only when you're better at it. But hiring a scribe that could write nicer than you, that's better. So in printing presses, it's better to hire a professional printing press also. Fine, no problem. But where do we fulfill the mitzvah of writing it if you're still buying a ready book? So that he's going to explain soon. But first, he says, let's get carried away with another amazing idea. In connecting to two ideas... There could be certain details that you learn one to the other and certain ones you don't. That's what we said about A and B. I could learn law B from law A, but I don't have to learn all the details with it. I could learn one part of that law. You have, for example, now he goes on to more examples. Prayer. Why do we pray today? Prayer today takes the place of the offerings that we brought in the ta- in temple times, right? We used to bring morning offerings, afternoon offerings. Sometimes it overflowed into the night offerings. So that's the shacharis, mincha, and imayrv. So it used to be imayrv we did optional because it wasn't always fixed in replica because it wasn't every day that we brought offerings at night. But Jews accepted on their own that they want to pray every night imayrv too. So it became also a mitzvah to do imayrv too. Okay, so the idea but of davening is to take place, to take the place of the offerings. Nevertheless, we see there's no mitzvah that you must make sure you should have a coin every time you daven, like you had in the temple times when you brought offerings every day. Nowadays, the offering, the prayers, we do it in the same time of day that we brought the offerings in the temple. 
Because once the time misses, the offering opportunity is missed. So you have to pray morning prayers, morning, afternoon, afternoon. Once it finishes morning or finishes afternoon or finishes the night, you lost the opportunity. But the point is that you don't you copy the general law, but not every detail of it. Just because I learned the law from there, it's so just like I learned the law of bringing offerings. I don't have to, and I should pray in the place of offering. It doesn't mean I have to pray exactly every detail to the laws of offerings. Another example: Passover. There was a mitzvah to bring the Pesach offering. You brought a lamb or a sheep, right? What's the law nowadays about your Passover Seder? Do you bring meat on your table? It actually says you should not have roasted meat at your Seder table. A lot of people don't realize this. Why should you not have? That's the minog. The minog is the custom is not to have roasted meat at your Seder table. Serve chicken. Why not roasted meat? Because people may say, ah, that's a Pesach offering, it's meat. So on one hand, this law not to have the meat, you learn it out from not to make a mistake that, you, that people should think you're making a place of offering. On the other hand, we see you have a shake bone on the table. Why do you have the shake bone on the table? To remind us of the Pesach offering that was roasted in fire. To remind you that just like the Pesach offering, the whole idea was from bringing the offering was in order to eventually eat the meat of it, so I have the shake bone to remind us of that idea. Okay, not meat, but I'm bringing it to chicken there, right? The zraya. So you see, you're learning a law from something, but not all the details. In other words, what the Rebbe is pointing out to us here is that this is a way of learning Jewish law. That just because you're applying a law doesn't mean that all the details, every single detail becomes relevant to the general law. He brings a third example. There's a rule that one rabbi, one sage, and another sage that could be on the same uh, side of a certain view, it's understood that not in all the details are they, do they agree. Just because certain sages agree on a certain rule of something, it doesn't mean that they, that they can't have differences in certain details of it. That's why the Talmud says, Ploni said this, and Replani said this. This sage said this, this sage said that. Why do I have to know all the names? Why do I have to know, in sometimes you have one case, and it tells you all these sages says, agree with this. You have a similar case, and they say, all the sages agree. Why do you have to tell me all the names? The reason is because not all these sages, it just, it did, did not always did they agree in every single detail of it. They could agree in concepts, in general principles. But when it came to details, sometimes they disagreed in things. They had a different approach to things for different circumstance reasons, which we went through these ideas in many other classes, different examples. But here the kind of point is that back to our context here. When the verse says, write down this song, which we understand that means it has to mean the whole Torah because you can't write a part. In order to understand this mitzvah of writing, you have to understand all the details of this mitzvah. What's all the details? The main point of the mitzvah. Is the main point the writing of the scroll or is the main point the learning from the scroll? Since the main point is the, is the learning from it, so the writing becomes a detail. In olden days, we, re- we wrote it because that's the way we learned it. And nowadays, we buy the books because that's the way we learn it. The main thing is the learning. It doesn't change the mitzvah. The mitzvah is the same mitzvah. You should write a Torah to have it to learn. So today, how do you write and have it to learn? It's through the learning, through anything, anytime you have a book. With this, you could basically understand that when the Ramah says, if I go into the market, I buy a Torah, and I didn't even check it, it's, you, know, you haven't fulfilled your obligation. It's like just buying randomly a Torah. It's like going to the marketplace, today's marketplace, going online and buying a Torah, and you don't even check it, you did nothing except for spent money. But he says, you are fulfilling your obligation of hiring a scribe to write it, and if you check it over. Not like the Rashi and the Mukha Yosef, remember we said? They said if you buy it in the, in the marketplace, yes, it's not the best way of buying it, but you still fulfill your obligation of having it. This was said regarding the writing of a Torah, but regarding the books, 
the five books of Mo, the Mishnah, the Gemara, and the commentary. Nowadays, the mitzvah is, the mitzvah of writing it is, according to everybody, all opinions would be, what does it mean, the mitzvah of writing it? To buy books and learn from it. Buy Torah books and learn from them. Meaning, everybody holds the mitzvah of writing is a, is a, is a method of the category to receiving the Torah. The question is, how much does it affect you? How much does it affect the outcome of having the Torah? So in other words, the person that writes it, or, or, or hire somebody to write it, or the outcome of the actual Torah is it going to be used. And the outcome of it being learnt, that's always the question. Since in early days, why did you write it? Because it was connected to how did you learn it from the Torah itself? Therefore, you had to write it with all the intentions, with the special parchment and so on, that had the, the indent uh, lines and all the other conditions to it. Because we were talking about the object. The object was the Torah. So therefore, you had to do it with all the conditions. But in actuality, all the conditions are only when it comes to the sanctity of the Torah scroll. But not because of the writing it to learn from it. So in other words, you could separate this idea. There's writing to learn from it. For that, you could buy books. Then there's the writing to have a scroll. And that has all the conditions. So the writing to learn from it doesn't matter. You don't have to keep check over every time. It doesn't even matter who printed it. And this is the explanation of the two opinions regarding the writing it, that to fulfill your obligation, according to the Rambam and the Ramah, who say you should write it and it has to be checked over, since the mitzvah is connected, they're talking about the holiness of the writing of the Torah. And the, the holiness obligates to have all the conditions in how it should be written. So the writing is a condition in the Torah. And therefore, when you fulfill the mitzvah that lies on you of writing a Torah, you have to do it with all the conditions. Or checking it over to make sure no mistakes. But according to the Rashi and the Nemuke Yosef, that the holiness of the Torah is not part of the mitzvah of writing it, and with all the conditions. Therefore, if the holiness is already there, then even in a Torah scroll, it's enough just to buy it, or buy it from the marketplace. Therefore, we see that nowadays, the writing of the Chumash and a Mishnah, Gemara, and all that stuff does not mean that it must be done in a way where you're writing it or hiring somebody to write it or checking it. Because these books that you're buying doesn't need to have even any effort of a human being. As a matter of fact, it could even be, as the expression goes, it could be something that was even done by a monkey or a machine. Meaning, without any mind to it. Just randomly done by whatever setup you have. As long as it's written, and written completely. In order to learn from it. That's the key. And that's the wordings in the Rush and the Shulchanar. When they say writing, the reason why they're using the word writing, even though we're not really writing, we're buying it. Because the source of their law is from the Rambam that says writing a Torah. But it's not the, the detail of the actual writing the Torah. It's the detail is in the learning of it. One detail is, yes, you could write a Torah scroll if that's the scroll you're going to learn from, but we don't do that anymore. From here it comes out that the explanation of fulfilling a mitzvah, that now you should write this song is the way we do it nowadays. For example, just like in the midst of learning Torah, now, it's not the way that you should learn the entire Torah all at once, and after that, start to indulge into it. In other words, we indulge into it, and we learn the halachas all together, one after the next. So to regarding fulfilling an obligation to write the Torah nowadays, that means not that you're obligated to write it, or to buy it, and all the books. And then I fulfilled the mitzvah. doesn't say that you have to write, buy a Torah and all the books. You could just write the books and the main thing is to be able to learn it. From here, we could conclude that's understood from the Gemara when it says, when the Talmud says 
that you should, if you write it, it's as if you got it straight from Mount Sinai. And the Rambam brings this down, even in his halacha, like we said before, that's only a category of the mitzvah to write. That it's like you accepted it, you received it straight from Mount Sinai. Through your efforts of writing it and so on. But that's only in the earlier days, again, that we learned it from, we wrote and learned it straight from it. So then it's complete in that way by you writing it, it's as if you got it on Sinai. Because that, in the old days, that was the way you retained the Torah and kept it and preserved it. And similar, it's like now in every generation, very similar, through buying the book and learning from it. From all this, what do you see? The importance of making the effort that every Jew should have holy books in their house. And how much better it would be if we had a house filled with sfar, bias mole sfar, a house filled with sfar. Which, by the way, was one of the Rebbe's ten campaigns in the seventies. That every house should be filled with holy books, at least. You have to. Every house has to have the main books, a sitter. Chumash, which means the whole Tanakh, a Mishnayis, a code of Jewish law, in order that you should be able to learn from it and have it at the tip of your tongue. Which, by the way, what does this tell you? That you should have it in the language that you could read from it and understand it. Just to have a Tanakh that you don't know anything what it's saying, that what's the, that, that buying the printed book that doesn't fulfill your obligation. You have to have the stuff, the books, that you have the means to be able to use it and learn from it. It hurts my heart every time people come to the shul and they drop off a bag and a box of old books to bring me old chumashim and stuff like that. Keep it in the house. Imagine children today are being brought up. They don't even know what these books are. The Rebbe once spoke in a sicha on the 17th of Thomas on the fast day. It's an edited sicha printed in volume 23. The Rebbe says there, and when he started this campaign to get every Jew to have a letter in the Torah in 1981, he said, you know what happened? People in Russia took this campaign, they went around and they told, asked people, would you like to purchase one letter in the Torah? And you know what people's kids started telling to the parents and the grandparents? They said, what is a Torah? The Rebbe says, unfortunately, and it's true, we all, we all see this. People not just in Russia, people in the United States of America and in Canada, there are many Jewish children, unfortunately, that don't know what a Torah scroll looks like. They have no idea. Imagine kids, they're growing up, if they never went to a Jewish place, Jewish school, where they showed them the stuff, they could grow up not knowing anything what this even is let alone the importance of having it. So when you have Torah books in your house, kids will ask, what is this book? What's the difference of this book that you take care of it so well and the other one, you, you know, you don't care if it falls on the floor? You'll be able to explain them why this is the sanctity of this. So when somebody wants to buy a present for somebody, it's a great idea. Buy the Machumish, buy the Masidr, buy the Matanach with the English or whatever language they could use. Would they understand it? I'm just adding this based on the other sikhs that the Rebbe brings down. Right? And from one idea to another idea, the Rebbe concludes here, we could add that the mitzvah of writing a Torah, that we learn it from this verse that now you should write this song, it means now you should write the entire Torah. We could say that with this, we could add the, sim- the simple understanding that since <coughs> there's nothing that's not hidden in the Torah, so in the Torah, in the written Torah, it's hinted about the entire Torah in the oral Torah too. And like we say the rule, everything was given to Moshe on Sinai. The Talmud, the Agadah, anything that any student will ever come up with explaining the Torah is also, was also given on Sinai. And so it is also because of the person says the Gemara, that this, what you write a Torah, it's as if you got it from Sinai, that means any parts of the Torah. And, si- and since, si- seemingly, we can learn this, that it's as if you got it from Sinai. In other words, that's the reward. The reward is that it's like, 
a proof that it's like you got it from Sinai itself. And we have the Hashem's mercy on whoever works hard for this. And you work hard to go into the desert. The Jews worked hard. It was exhausting to go into the desert to be able to receive the Torah. So the same too now, the exhaustion or whatever effort, in other words, it takes. It's not just a reward for the midst of writing the Torah and the Rambam. Which brings this down in his book of laws, not just in his commentary on the Mishnayis, brings it down in the book of laws and he put it in in the, in the beginning as the first law of this subject. So meaning to tell you, it's not just he put it in the middle or in the end. He brought it down to tell you the importance of this. And this also teaches you, like what it says, that whoever teaches your friend's child, Torah, it's as if you have that child yourself. May it be the will of Hashem that very soon we should be able to return to, with our eyes, with the coming of Mashiach. And, it will, and he will write down the entire Torah as a king does. And we will be together and read it together in the lifetime with the Mashiach. And it will be revealed the sovereignty of God in a way that the king will be the ruler of the entire earth. And that day it will be one God and then oneness of God will be and the name of God as one will be all there together as one. So with this, we conclude this 